0: Well, I'm excited that you're here today as we are continuing our summer series that we're doing this summer called A Summer with King David. And if you remember from previous messages, if you were here, uh, we know that the nation of Israel is in a dark place spiritually, and uh, we've talked about the fact that We've seen the similarities between the nation of Israel and kind of what's going on in our world today that uh, often when you find yourself in a dark place spiritually, uh, not just only as a nation, but also maybe as a church, maybe as a family, uh, maybe as an individual, when you find yourself in in a, a dark place, it is usually because you have lost your focus. You have gotten your focus off. Uh, of god and the things of god and the promises of god and that's exactly what has happened to the nation of israel here and what we've been seeing is is they wanted to be like everybody else the nation of israel wanted to be like all the other nations and all the other nations had a what they had a king good y'all remember and uh, so all the other nations had a king, and they wanted to be like all the other nations. So they told God, you know what, uh, uh, it's not that you're not good enough for us, but in addition to you, we would also like to have a, a king. And, and we talked about the fact that sometimes God gives us exactly what we want so that we will see that he is all that we truly need. And so that's what we see has happened here, the nation of Israel. Uh, God allows them to... Uh, have a king, and we've learned that it was King Saul, and he was this big, strong, good-looking guy that uh, they felt would represent them and make them proud as a leader, it would give them an identity as a nation, it would bring them security as a nation, and that would ultimately lead to them being happy. And so that's where we find ourselves today, the nation of Israel have entrusted King Saul to be their source of identity, security, and happiness. And this week we come to one of the most familiar stories uh, in the Bible. It's one of the first Bible stories that we learn. If you were raised in church, many of you, when I say the, the words David and Goliath, your mind immediately goes back to a flannel graph board, huh? Anybody with me? I mean, that's how I learned it. Some of you don't even know what a flannel graph is. I'm excited to tell you today, though, that uh, our teens in our teen Sunday school class are being introduced to the flannel graph board. Uh, Thomas and Noel Bradley teach that Sunday school class and he said, I just thought it would be cool. And I don't even know where they got their hands on this stuff. But uh, the, he said, I thought it would be cool if I taught them uh, with flannel graph. And so you can be, you can rest assured, if you bring your kids to Sunday school, they're going to learn about flannel graph and they're going to learn about Jesus. And so uh, anyway, uh, I, even if you weren't raised in church, I would say that you probably know the story of David and Goliath. It is that familiar Uh, that popular of a story out of the Bible and I may be wrong in assuming this but since I assume that everyone knows this story would it be okay with you if I don't read to you the entire chapter this morning all right I thought that would be all right Uh, but I'm not going to read the entire chapter to you today because in in just a little bit we're going to have a great celebration of four young people uh, that's going to be baptized, and that's one of the most important things that we can do today. But this morning, in coming to this story, and coming to this famous story of the Bible, the main thing that I want us to focus on today, and I've heard a lot of teaching, I've heard a lot of sermons uh, uh, fr- about this story, but this morning, I want our primary focus to be on talking about courage. Um, because I think that all of us, at some point, uh, in our lives, whether we're young or we're old, have experienced a time when we didn't have the courage to do something that we knew we should have done. We we didn't have the courage to speak up when we knew that we should have spoke up. Uh, most of the time, it's actually fear that keeps us from having the courage that we need. If we don't have courage to do something, then that means that fear in our lives is stronger than the courage uh, in our lives. Maybe as a student, you remember uh, a time where you didn't have the courage to stand up to your friends to do the right thing. You didn't have the courage to take up for uh, that kid that you go to school with that everybody else was making fun of. And, and, and the reason that you didn't, well, maybe it was because you were afraid of what the other kids might say. Or, or you were uh, afraid maybe uh, that they might exclude you and not let you be a part of their group or, or, or part of their friend circle anymore. Maybe you couldn't muster up the courage uh, to ask a girl out, Caleb. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before, but um, Caleb's on the front row, and he's the easy target. But, you know, maybe you didn't have the courage to ask the girl out, but you did, didn't you? You've got a girlfriend, don't you, Caleb? I, I think you do. No? <clears throat> but anyway, you know, or, or maybe you didn't have the courage to let that young man know that you, you know, you were interested in, in, in him. And, and so, you know, the reason that you didn't do that was because the, of the fear of maybe being rejected or the fear of being maybe told, no, you, you're not, you don't look good enough or, or you're not good enough. Maybe it was a time when you didn't have the courage to tell the truth about something. And the reason that you didn't have the courage to tell the truth about something is because you were afraid of the consequences that were going to follow if you were to tell the truth. Maybe as an adult here today, you didn't have the courage to take take a stand for something that was right at the business or at the place that you work or a business decision and and the reason why is because of these same fears that we had as little kids we're afraid of what people might think about us or what people might say or what the ramifications might be for me if i were to speak out and take a stand for what is right in the workplace and maybe you're here today and you can, you can relate to that in some way. Maybe you're here today and you can't relate to that at all because maybe you're just one of those people who are naturally fearless and not afraid of anything. Uh, but for most of us, here's the deal. Courage is a choice that we make. Having courage is a choice that we have to make. And so today, I, I want to uh, look. At quickly at those of us who are not naturally fearless uh, those of you who are just naturally fearless and aren't afraid of anything you can go ahead and leave I'm not talking to you at all this morning but for those of us who do experience fear in our lives sometimes well, we're going to talk about uh, being able how we can make the choice to have courage and 1st Samuel chapter 17 is all about courage And I think there are three different kinds of courage that we see on display here in this story this morning. First, we have King Saul, who we find out in this story actually has no courage at all, right? And then we see Goliath in the story, and he appears to have a lot of courage. But in the end, I think we're going to see that all of his courage was just counterfeit courage. And then finally, we're going to see David, who displays for us real courage and what that looks like when we choose it. And since I'm not going to read this entire chapter to you this morning, it might be helpful if you find this in your Bibles or on your phone or however uh, you look at Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 17. But the first thing I want to point out is something that we see here that's important in the very first verse of chapter 17. And God's Word says this, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. The Philistines gathered their forces for war. And I talk about all the time. It is important that we always understand the context of the scripture that we're reading in the Bible. We need to understand what's going on. We need to understand what has taken place. And just so we don't, you know, pick and choose and pull out and make it say what we want it to say. We need to understand the context of it. And so the context of this is simply this on one mountain stood the philistines on another mountain stood the israelites between them was a valley and they say that this valley is about a mile wide and they had gathered there for war And war back then was not like the kind of wars that we have today. There's not airplanes that are flying over with these laser guided missiles that hit exactly where they hit. There's not, you know, these uh, uh, missiles on cruise ships out in the sea that, you know, have these guided missiles coming in. War was nothing like that back then. When you went to war, it was literally hand to hand combat you were literally faced with your enemy face to face you were fighting them trying to kill the other person standing in front of you with your hands or with whatever it was that you might be carrying in your hands your job was to kill the person that you came in contact with and and scholars tell us that actually more people died back then from those wars from infections from wounds that they would receive during these battles than actually being killed at the time. And so they've gathered together, anticipating this hand-to-hand combat, this hand-to-hand gory and bloody time when they knew or, d- or didn't know if they were going to get to go home to their wife and kids and their families or not. And so the Philistines are gathered on one mountain, huge valley. And then you had the Israelites gathered on the mountain on the other side, waiting for this event to transpire. And the reason for the standoff, the reason all this was happening to begin with, was because the Philistines over here, where they're standing on their mountain, oh, by the way, that was the land that God had promised to Israel. God had said, this is your land. It was Canaan land. All right, and this was the land that, that, that you're supposed to be living on and occupy, and the Philistines had always been a thorn in the side of the Israelites. And, and so where we're at today is the Philistines are living on the land that God had, don't miss this, God had promised to his children. God had promised to his children. And so, don't miss this. We've got to take every story from the Bible, and we got to look at it through the lens of Jesus, number one, and then the lens of how does this, how, what does this teach me? What does this say to me about my life right now? Because if if we can't apply this to our lives that we're about to go out and live tomorrow when we leave this place, then you know it's really not relevant at all. So, what does this say to us? And listen to what's happening here again. In order for Israel to take what was rightfully theirs. In order for Israel to take and receive what God had promised them. They were going to have to have the courage to take it. Now how does that apply to some of your lives? We talk about a lot that the Bible is filled with promises. And the Bible actually has Over 8,000 promises in it. And so I would encourage you as you're reading the Scripture, if you don't read the Scripture, start reading the Scripture and start underlining every place where you see a promise from God or a promise from Jesus. All right? Because what's taking place here is God had made a promise to His children. God had made a promise to the nation of Israel, but they were going to have to have the courage to take it and again we all know the story the Philistines send out this huge mighty warrior named what y'all help me out Goliath see they know the story And, and so they they send out this huge mighty warrior named Goliath and we see there in verse number five that he had the latest and greatest suit of defense that money could buy or anybody could have that's going into battle And Goliath, what he would do is he would come out and he would tempt and and he would tease the Israelites and make fun of them. Verse 8 and 9 says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and even line up for battle, right? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of mighty great King Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects or servants. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then verse 11 says, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and what? Terrified. terrified. Anybody else's Bible say anything else? Scared. Some, some translations say scared. Some say terrified, right? And, and this continued day day. And night, Goliath would come out and he would taunt them. And the Israelites were afraid. They were scared of him. They did not have the courage to stand up to the enemy. And don't miss this they didn't have the courage not only to stand up to the enemy, but they didn't have the courage to take what was rightfully theirs that God had promised them. Why? Because they were afraid, right? They, they were scared. Even their mighty King Saul, it says here, was terrified. And if you remember back, the reason that Israel wanted Saul in the first place to be their king is because he was so big and bad and strong and a mighty warrior. He stood literally stood head and shoulders above everybody else. In other words, King Saul was their giant. He was their strong and mighty and capable giant, their man of war, who they thought would guarantee them an identity, who they thought would guarantee them security and would make them proud and make them victorious. And don't miss this today. This king that Israel had chosen to replace God has failed them. Now, I want you to think about How does this apply to our world today? How does this apply to our lives today and and where we're at today? You see, we often choose things that the world tells us will give us identity, that will bring us security, that will make us happy. And we choose those things and we say, Okay, God, we're not saying you're a bad thing. We're we're not saying that we don't want you. We're just saying that we think we need this in addition to you. Right? And that's exactly what had happened here with the nation of Israel. And this king that Israel had chosen to replace God, because that's literally what they were doing, it wasn't this and God, they literally had chosen a king to replace God, has failed them. Can I just tell you, this had happened time and time before, this was happening then, and this still happens today. Come to find out, King Saul doesn't have any courage at all, does he? He's terrified. He's afraid. And then our story continues about how David, David's not even a a part of all this. David's not even gathered there on the hills. We we find out here in this passage of Scripture that David is still out in the pasture. Y'all remember the message about the pasture where God sometimes prepares us for the future by letting us spend time out in the pasture? Well, David's still out there in the pasture chasing around sheep, You know, watching sheep, doing, doing whatever shepherd boys do. Uh, David's being a shepherd boy. And, and it describes the events of how David actually ended up on the scene here on the battlefield, how his dad had sent him with some food there to deliver to his brothers and to check on them and come back and give a report on how they were doing. And I think it's interesting here, if you continue to read on, when David shows up, his oldest brother is one that he encounters when he gets there, and his name is Eliab. Y'all remember him from a few weeks ago, Eliab? Eliab was the oldest son of Jesse. He's the oldest brother of David. And When Samuel had come to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel, Jesse automatically said, well, it must be my oldest son Eliab, but, you know, he's awesome. But it wasn't Eliab. But we see Eliab again here in this story, here in chapter 17. The oldest brother who had not been chosen to be the king begins to ridicule David for showing up, for being there. Boy, don't you have sheep to chase back at home in the pasture? You can see it there in verse 28. And, and y'all, if you think about this, isn't this true so often? that when you are trying to do the right thing, when you are trying to do what's right in your own mind, you feel like in your spirit this is the right thing to do, the most discouraging opposition comes from the people who should be your biggest fans. The opposition comes from the people who should be on your side. You see, Goliath was a big enough problem Uh, in in its own right but then you have a uh, uh, you have family members and you have fellow believers that telling that are telling you you know what you're arrogant you're crazy for for doing what you're thinking about doing or, or or what it is that you're about to encounter and you know what god has prepared david for this moment even to be ridiculed by his very own family and to be doubted by others david is like you know what whatever whatever. I, I, I don't care. You know what? This guy is coming out here day and night, and he's running down our nation, and we are the great nation of God. We are the children of God, and he is running down our nation, and he's running down my God, and I'll fight this guy because you know why? You know why David wasn't afraid? You know why he didn't have any fear? Because God had proven himself to David in the pasture, right? He had proven himself over and over. And David said, you know what? My God has provided for me. My God has protected me. My God has has done so much for me. I'll fight this guy. Because you know know another reason why he he had no fear in this situation? Because he knew what was coming. Remember, years and years uh, uh, before all of this took place, David, as a young boy, was anointed to be the next king of Israel. And so he knows what the future holds. He knows the promise that God has made to him that he would be the next king. And so he knows this this giant is not going to kill me because I'm going to be the next king. I know the end of the story and I win. Hello? Do we know the end of the story? Why are we scared? I'll fight this guy. And then Saul, he gets word that finally there's somebody, you know, on their side of the valley that's got enough guts to go down and face Goliath, and he's not going to have to do it. And they bring David to him. And Saul sees this baby-faced, teenage, what was the word, Lauren? Ruddy, ruddy, this ruddy boy, Lauren, uh, Uh, I appreciate her. She texts me during my message and sends me all kinds of points and stuff to elaborate on. And uh, when we talked about David being ruddy, she sent me the description of ruddy from the dictionary on my phone. So he was ruddy. He was young. He was a baby face. In verse 33, Saul says, you're not able. (laughs) There's no way. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. But David doesn't back down. He gives Saul his resume. He said, let me tell you what my God has done. Let me tell you how my God has provided. Let me tell you how my God is protected. And I don't know if you see the part in there, and I may have made this up and dreamed this last night, but I think part of the story here, when David is explaining it to Saul, does it say there that he grabs a bear by the beard? Does it say that in y'all's Bible? So I didn't dream that? I, I just get this picture when I think of that of Duck Dynasty bears. You know, and he's like grabbing him by the beard, you know. And he's telling Saul he's done all these things, right? Gives Saul his resume. He displays his courage that comes from where? Some Y'all need to go to Sunday school. <clears throat> all right, y'all need to go to Sunday school and learn. The correct answer to every question in church is God or Jesus, okay? Sunday school starts at 9.30. Some of y'all need to go. Verse 37, though, Saul finally gives in. Like, well, I got nobody else, and I ain't going. So he says, go, and the Lord be with you. In other words, what he's really saying to David is this, good luck at being dead, (laughs) right? They try to give him weapons and armor and all this warrior stuff, but David is like, nah, I'll pass. Remember that time in the pasture when there wasn't anything else to do and he was learning to play a harp, learning to write songs, and in his spare time he made this sling and he started getting pretty good with it. David's like, you know what, this sling has served me pretty well in the past. I think I'll be okay with taking it. And then the Bible says that he goes and he picks out five rocks. and Man, I've heard preachers preach on those five rocks and what they mean. I mean, if you can, if you can analyze that and understand those five rocks just perfectly, I believe you could probably tell us the day that Jesus is coming back again. Um, I've heard other preachers take the five rocks and say what, you know, what they stand for. The, you know, the first rock stands for prayer. The second rock stands for courage. The third rock stands for tithing. The fourth rock stands for tithing. The fifth rock stands for tithing. See, I'm not that smart. So I, will be honest with you. I don't, I don't think the five rocks have any meaning at all. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I just think he went and picked up some rocks because he knew he needed a rock for his sling, okay? And, and so I want to pick it up here, and again, we've already heard it, but I just want to look at it again, starting at verse 40. With his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. If Goliath is so big and bad, why has he got a shield-bearer in front of him? Just curious, I don't, I don't know. Somebody here I know has all the answers you'll tell me at the end of the service. He looked David over, and he saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom, oh, by the way, you have defied. And it ends here today. This day. Everybody say, this day. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down... Cut off your head. All right, this is where it gets PG, kids. Y'all put your fingers in your ear. I'm going to cut off your head. This very day, I'm going to give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And who's his audience here? The whole world will know. Right? The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And there's another audience here, if you pay attention. All those gathered here, and he's talking about there the nation of Israel, the children of God, right? All of them will know that it's not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands, right? The two audience here, one is the world. And David said, we're fixing to show the world here that God exists right here. Me and you, Goliath, we're fixing to show them. God exists. The second audience is God's people. And David is saying here, we're going to show them that what? God keeps his promises. That's what they're about to learn. God keeps his promises for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands this day. This day. You see everybody else. That's gathered on that hillside there behind David is focused on the wrong thing. You see, they're they're focused on how big the enemy is. They're they're focused on if they have anyone strong enough to take out the enemy, if they have anybody big enough to go and and, and beat him. David is not focused on the enemy, he's focused on this. What does God want to do? He's focused on what does God want to do in this situation? And David has no doubt about it whatsoever because God has proven to himself time and time and time again provided and protected and kept His promises. And friends, here is the lesson in this story today, right? It, it, it's about where our courage comes from. And our courage, we begin to choose courage when we begin to change our focus. Right? Courage will come. Listen, courage will come when you stop asking the question, what can I do? Hello? That's why we're afraid most of the time, because we know what we can do. We're not capable. We're not capable of defeating the army. We're not capable of taking a stand when we ought to take a stand. We're not capable of always telling the truth when we ought to tell the truth. Right? So the question, when we... when you, you, but. You, uh, uh, they threw me off because I'm like, they're going to get ready for baptism and I still have 45 minutes left of sermon. I'll be with you in a minute, kids. I promise. Uh. Courage will come when we stop asking the question, what am I capable of? And we start asking the question, what does God want to do in this situation? What does God want to do? What has what God promised that he would do? What is it that he wants? Because someone once famously said this, if God calls you to it, he will see you through it. And we all know the rest of the story. David ends up delivering the perfect stone in the perfect place and he takes down the giant and goes and takes the giant's sword from him and kills him and cuts off his head. Great story. it would make a great movie. Somebody ought to make a movie about that. And again, I've heard a lot of teaching, lots of sermon on what this story means for us, but I believe this is it. In order for us to have the courage to take on the enemy out there, do y'all believe there's an enemy out there? Does the Bible say that there's an enemy out there that is um, seeking whom he may devour? That there is an enemy out there that wants to steal, kill, and destroy? Folks, don't put on your rose-colored Christian glasses and go out into the world and don't think there's an enemy out there. There's an enemy out there. And in order for us to have the courage... To take on the enemy that is out there seeking to steal, kill, and destroy our families. That is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy our churches. That's that seeking to steal, kill, and destroy our very lives. In order for us to have the courage to take on the enemy, we've quit. we've got to stop asking, what can we do? And instead start asking the question, what can God do? Because, friends, this story, and, and in fact, this, this whole book of the Bible, this whole book of the Bible is about who? Y'all really need to go to Sunday school. My gosh, who is the Bible about? It's about God. It's about Jesus, right? It's always the right answer in church. I told you that while I go. You know who this Bible is not about? You. It's about God. It's about what God has done. It's about what God is doing. And it's about what God has promised to do. So what if, what if we had the confidence and the courage that David had? Because honestly, we fear, the the biggest fears that hinder us are the fear of rejection, if we truly think about it. The fear of being rejected. The fear that something that we say or do will cause people not to like us. And, and y'all know, I, I want people to like me. But, but, but what if? What if? And, and I've been saying all throughout this series, we've we got to find Jesus in this story. So, so how does Jesus fit into this story about David and Goliath? Well, what if... Jesus came in order to take the sting out of that fear that we have of being rejected. What if Jesus came to take that sting out of the fear that we have that people might make fun of us or that we might be rejected? What if Jesus came in order to take that sting out of that fear by doing this? Making us perfectly acceptable to God. Would you rather be accepted by the people of this world or God when it's all said and done? Good answer. Because here's the deal, folks. If we know that God is for us, then who could be against us? Is is that a promise? Did he make us a promise? How come we hadn't claimed what's rightfully ours? If he's for us, then who, who can be against us if we know that? If we know that, then here's the deal. What other people think about us is going to become a lot less important to us. We might begin to realize that it isn't the opinion of others that we really ought to care about. You know, I, I, I've done a lot of funerals lately. A, and I, I talk about at nearly every funeral. I did, I did one on Wednesday, and it was, it was, it was hard. It was a hard funeral. Um, but I say at every funeral, I point at the casket or the urn, and I will say, when you get to this point in your life, it's too late to make these choices. Friends, when you get to this point in your life, it's too late to claim those promises. we got to claim them now. we got to live in the victory now. Because it's been promised to us now, right? And what other people think about us needs to be a lot less important than what God thinks about us. We can live a life like this because Jesus came and did what He did for us on the cross and on the empty tomb. He came so that we might have life and having more abundantly Jesus came so that we could be set free from the bondage of sin from the bondage of the enemy Jesus came to take the sting out of death because you see at a funeral like I did on Wednesday the sting of death was strong and very real in that place But at the funeral or memorial service of someone that we know was a saint and a true follower of God, it's not so hard to say goodbye because it's not goodbye. It's see you later. He came so that we might have life. He came so that we would be set free. He came to take the sting out of death. He came so that we could live a life of courage and confidence in who we are instead of living a life of fear. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came, so that we would be adopted into the family of the King of Kings. You should have set up a little higher. If you've accepted Christ, you have been adopted You've been accepted. You've been invited to the table of the King of Kings. (laughs) Yes. And when we realize that, we'll come more near living in this courage and less in the fear. I was listening as we sang that last song that we sang, Because He Lives... I can face tomorrow because he lives all what is gone. Can we live in that? Because we choose courage. Courage is a choice that we make each and every day. So we got to get our focus off the enemy. Oh my goodness, it's bad out there. It's so bad. We've got to get our focus off the enemy, get the focus off what we think we can do or what we can't do, and get our focus on the promises of God. The victory that has already been won through Jesus Christ. Here's the deal, friends. Like in the life of David, God will work through people if they will simply trust Him. He will work through you if you will simply trust Him. But it's a choice that we've got to make. It's a choice if we're going to surrender our life, our plan, our will to Him or not. we Are going to keep trying to do it our way? Or are we going to finally give in and do it His way? God will work through His people if we will simply trust Him. And that's what some young people have come to do today. It takes a lot of courage to do what these young people have come to do today. And they're so excited. Avery told me earlier, I woke up at 2 o'clock this morning. I was so excited to get baptized. Friends, are we that excited to go out from this place today and represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Some of you may be here today and you've never been baptized before. That is step number two in receiving Christ. The Bible is clear that we're to repent and be baptized. And if you've never been baptized, don't let the enemy defeat you because you've never been baptized. Step out in courage. What are you afraid of? I mean, really, what are you afraid of? I don't know. I would encourage you if you've never been baptized and you've been saved to take that next step of baptism. So we got four today. Uh, we've got two or three more coming in the weeks ahead. I would love to add you to that list. Just let me know. Would you join me in prayer this morning as we close? Dear God, I thank you so much today for the promises that you've made us. I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you for how, if we, if we look, we see your son in this story. And how you sent a helper after your son Because you knew we needed help, you sent us a helper to help us every single day with what we don't have the strength to do, what we don't have the courage to do, what we're afraid to do. You sent us a helper through the Holy Spirit that lives in our hearts and in our lives to help us to make a choice to have courage. And so, God, my prayer today is that we would leave here as the family of God, as the people of God, the church, focused on You, focused on claiming Your victories and Your promises in our own lives. And God, if there be anybody here today that has never accepted You as Lord and Savior of their life, I pray that today would be the very day that they would find a quiet place somewhere and they would give their life to You, that they would just sit and have a conversation with You about the struggles that they have, about the doubts that they have. And then they would trust you with the rest of their lives. And they would hear at the end, when we cross over from this world to the next, they would hear those sacred and beautiful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. God, I thank you for what you've done in the past. I praise you for what you're doing right now. But God, I also praise you today for what you're going to do in the days ahead. I thank you for these young people that have accepted you. And today they're displaying the courage that comes from you to be able to get in front of these people and be baptized to make a public profession of their faith in you. I pray that you'll continue to guide them and that you will use them in mighty and great ways to further your kingdom work here on this earth. Give them courage, God. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we've got a line of ladies over here, and i got a guy over here, and we're going to let the ladies go first, okay? And the first one in line is Josie, right? So this is Josie McGinney. So let me ask you a question. Have you been running traps over there on my farm? Mm-hmm. Did I, I thought that was you I saw over there. This girl is a, a dandy. You're going to have to put both your feet on the floor or this is going to be a train wreck. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, these young people that have come have learned about Jesus not only through our children's department but also at home and uh, through their families, and there's a a great legacy there. And, Josie, I'm excited to be able to baptize you today. But first off, I want to ask you, have you asked Jesus to come into your heart? And, yes, sir, she said. I love that. And you're going to live your life for him? Yes, sir. Well, then, it's my privilege today to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who's next, Avery? This is Avery Edwards. and She comes today professing her faith in Jesus and wanting to be baptized. Are you going to church camp? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Y'all are going to have a great time. Stay out of trouble, okay? Yes sir. yes, sir. I love these girls. Yes, sir. I love that. Well, let me ask you this morning, Avery. Have you accepted Christ into your heart and your life? Yes, sir. And are you going to live the rest of your life for him? Amen. And it's my honor to baptize you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ruby, coming next is Ruby McGinney. And I think I've got pictures of you on my game camera too, have
1: I? Yeah, I thought so. I thought that was you.
0: But, Ruby, I'm excited today. I know it's a big day for your family. And your family's proud that you're making this public profession of faith today. And I'm proud of you, too. But I want to ask you as well, have you asked Jesus to come into your heart? Yes, sir. And are you going to live the rest of your life for him? Yes, sir. Amen. And it's my privilege to baptize you, Ruby, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come on down here, Jacob. Now, Ruby and Josie are sisters, and Avery is like a sister. And they're all big buddies. And this is a cousin. And his last name is Taylor, but he lives on the McGinney compound too, don't you? Uh Uh-huh. And he has made a profession of faith in his life. And Jacob, I'm going to ask you, just like I did the girls, have you asked Jesus to come into your heart and your life? Are you going to live the rest of your life for him? Amen. Amen. I love that. Yes, sir. And it's my honor today to baptize you, Jacob, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, again, if you've never been baptized and would like to, just let me know. And we would love to get that scheduled for you. Would you stand with me this morning as we're dismissed and join me in our benediction together as we remind ourselves of who we are and who we've been called to be this morning. Read it with me. Lord, let us go out into the world in peace and dedicated to your service. Let us hold tightly to that which is good, supporting the weak, helping the needy, and honoring all people. May the strength of God sustain us May the power of God preserve us. May the hands of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the love of God go with us this day and forever. Amen and amen. I love you so much. I hope you have a great week. Remember, pray for our kids and sponsors at camp this week.